such a special day today, isn't it? It's so good to bless the little children. And um, the message this morning is raising destiny kids. We are raising children in the kingdom of God to have eternal significance. Did you hear that? Your children will have eternal significance. Your children will have eternal significance. This message is for Naveen and for Steffi especially. It is for all parents in here. And it is for all grandparents in here. And it is for all spiritual moms and dads. That means this message is for every one of us. Because we are all included. We're going to start with Psalm 127, 3 and 4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, it is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. This scripture's significance, it says about the joy of receiving a gift from the Lord, which is a baby. It's a gift from the Lord. God entrusts you with these children. The second part of it is also significant because it says like arrows in the hand of a warrior. In the days of the Old Testament when there was warfare going on, arrows was the preferred way of taking out the enemy. Do you know why? You know they had bows and arrows and they had swords and they had shields. But if you're having to fight with a sword, the enemy has to be right beside you. But if you're using bows and arrows, you can take the enemy out from afar. So that's why the psalmist says, your children will be like arrows in the hands of a warrior. You raise your children to be godly. They will take the enemy out from afar. And they will have eternal significance. Internal significance have a divine purpose. In preparation for today, I thought, what will I read up about? And I thought, no, I want to read somebody who has raised children that have eternal significance. So I picked up, I ordered a book by Bill Johnson. Bill and Benny Johnson describes how they raised their children. And we sing their children, as an example, Brian Johnson writes all these songs that are sung and worshipped all around the world today. So they got it together, didn't they? They're really an example. And in his book, he talks about we raise children to be giant slayers. Giant slayers. Because every child is born into war. 
But do not be in fear just because there is a war going on, there's a spiritual war going on as well as physical war. Because the war that we are in has already been won. It has already been won and we are on the victory side. We are living today in the beginning of the end. But the prophetic word says, a million souls is going to be brought into the kingdom of God. So the days ahead of us are greater than the days behind us. Who do you think is going to bring these million souls into the kingdom? If it's not our children and our grandchildren, they are the ones that are going to be powerful in the things of the Spirit and bring these souls into the kingdom of God. This is really exciting. This is really exciting. To bring in the harvest. Significant difference. Significant. If you look at Jesus, who's our greatest example, what did he do? He didn't pay attention to what the devil was doing. He just kept his eye on his father. He said, I'm only doing what I see the father doing. He just went about his father's business and changed the world. And this is what we must do. Not to live in fear. Think about the great women and men of God that we read in scripture. Esther, Daniel, Moses, Joseph, every one of them. Deborah, they lived in days of war. But they had eternal significance. They had significance for the whole nation. Because they followed the Lord. They follow the Lord. So let us raise children in God, in God confidence. In the world you will be told, raise your children to have self-confidence. That's not going to take you very far, because self is limited. But when we raise children in God confidence, to have faith and know who their God is. That's a different league altogether. Then we have eternal significance. It's really powerful. Did you watch the movie called The Jesus Revolution? Hands up. Who watched it? Oh, yeah, a lot of you really missed out. Because this is really like a, a movie made of the, the move of God that took place in the 1970s. If you haven't watched it, you really should watch it. Now, I would say the Jesus Revolution from way back then, and I just remember waves of it. Remember, this is before there was an internet. Uh, I was... I was born in Denmark and you know we didn't speak English and this took place like in the US but there were waves coming but there would be teams coming from the US and they would come and they would hold meetings and just like that people would get healed just like that people would get saved when there's a move of God things can happen really fast and I remember that I remember that as a as a child I remember that and I remember that my dad came to the meeting and he was healed 
One leg was shorter than the other. They prayed for him and his leg grew out. Now that is supernatural. I remember that. A move of God. However, that move didn't last. I would say that Jesus' revolution, these people became the salt of the church. But the next Jesus revolution, we will become the salt of the earth. Because what happened to those young people, they were so caught up in the fact that Jesus is coming back, that they just stayed focused on that, and they didn't necessarily take the full possession in society. And most of them didn't bother going to university, didn't bother going into the various jobs. They just stayed in the church life. But we are bringing up children to do both. To be everything that God calls them to be. Not just to be powerful in the church, but to be the salt of the earth. Do you know that once you put the salt in your potatoes, you can't take it back out, can you? As you know, we've been blessed with a little grandchild. And when they come to the house, Lisanna will say, Mom, did you put salt in those potatoes? Once the salt is in there, I can't give her a potato that doesn't have salt in it. It's impossible. You get it? Once the salt is in there, it cannot be removed. And that's what Jesus says. So the next Jesus revolution, the people of God, we will be the salt of the earth. It cannot be removed. And do you know about salt? It melts the hardest of ice, doesn't it? Anything that is really hard, it can be melted. You sprinkle the salt on it and lo and behold, the ice melts. So powerful. Now, James Gold said, if God allows a giant Goliath in front of you, then he knows there's a David inside of you. Hmm? So to raise our children to become giant killers, we must first face and destroy our own giants. And then teach them how to do the same. Because David slayed Goliath, but the men that he raised, whoa, were they powerful. They slain all the other giants. So that's what we are to do. Now, I thought I would give you an example of raising children in the way they are to go, and they will stay that way from everyday life. So I'm going to, for a moment, talk about tennis, although I'm not actually really a tennis fan, but the story really caught my attention. Are there any tennis fans in here? Yes, we've got a couple of tennis fans. Have anybody people, have you seen tennis on TV or on social media? Yes, you know what tennis is. And you know it's big business, don't you, in the world? It's big business. Well, I want to remind you of a story of a couple that were very intentional. Because the message to us today, parents, you need to be really intentional how you bring up your children. And there was a couple called Richard and Brandy Williams in the US. And they, the father, Richard, decided before 
his children were born, that he was going to raise tennis stars. Before they were born, he had a plan because they were both athletics and he was a tennis coach. This is what he decided. So the daughters, Venus and Serena Williams, were born to play tennis. Richard aspired to turn them into professional tennis players. He had prepared a plan for success since before they were born. And Richard and Brandy coached these two girls on a daily basis while working as a security guard. He was a security guard and mom was a nurse. These couple, this was their goal. Take some points from this story because you know the outcome. Have you heard about these tennis stars? These are the number one tennis achievers in the world. They did things and have achieved things that no one else had ever done. So whether you enjoy tennis or not, listen to the point. Venus went on to win seven Grand Slam singles title, five Wimbledon, two US Opens, and then she won Olympic gold. Serena, who came a year after, she won 23 Grand Slam women single titles, plus lots of other things. In fact, they had to create new kinds of titles because she was so phenomenal. How did this take place? Number one, listen, the father had a plan before they were born. Do you get it? A father in heaven has a plan before our children are born. But as human beings, as human parents, we should also have a plan. We don't know exactly what that plan is, but we line up with the father's plan in heaven. The father had a plan before they were born. Father and mother sacrificed everything. Everything. Because they gave up all of their personal time to coach. Are you hearing me? Sacrifice every day to coach. Every day to coach. They train every day. Training every day. The other thing that the father did was he would continuously speak the picture, the final picture into the minds of these girls, telling them that what they would become. Tell the children what they will become. And the girls believed it and trained for it every single day. The other thing the father did was he taught them humility because when they actually started to play others and they went, they would get a little bit, hey, look what I can do. And their father immediately sat them down and said, not on my watch. Remember where we have come from. Always stay humble. Now to me, this is an example. What did these parents do? They actually used biblical principles and achieved success. How much more will we, as God's people, applying the principles of Scripture, how much more will we be able to raise not just children that are successful, faithful, we don't do success, we do 
faithfulness, but how much more will we raise children with eternal significance? Think about that. Think about that. Be intentionally. How do we do it? Let's go to Malachi 2.15. Listen to the scripture. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of the youth. Marriage is two becoming one. Two becoming one. And Paul talks about this as a mystery. And it's a picture of Christ and the bride becoming one. This is really significant. Let's jump to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is God's design, people. This is God's. We know it. But let's look at it at a deeper level today when it comes to bringing up children. Because the home is designed by God to be a demonstration to these little ones. To be a, a natural demonstration of what true love is. How can we love? Well, we love well because we have received love well. 1 John 4.19 We love each other because he first loved us. It's the same principle again. That we need to slay our own giants first before we can teach our children to slay a giant. Do you know what it's like? Have you been on an aeroplane? Anybody been on an aeroplane? When you go in, before they take off, they will give you safety instructions. And what do they tell you about the oxygen mask? In case of an emergency, what are you to do with the oxygen mask? Are you putting it on your children first or yourself first? Yourself. You put the oxygen on yourself first. Then you attend to your children. You learn yourself how to walk with the Lord. Then you can teach your children. You learn to slay the giant and then you teach your children. You receive the love from the Father and then you create an atmosphere of love in the home. Based on these scriptures that we have read and other scriptures which you know already, it's really clear that in the home God has decided that the husband sets the standard of love in the home. I didn't make this up. This is scripture. Forget what the world teaches. This is what God says. And for those of you that are single parents, you're doing a fantastic job and God gives you a double anointing. But today I'm addressing this couple. Husband and wife. Husband, you are setting the standard for love in the home. Why? Because you're sacrificing your life for your wife as Christ sacrificed for the church. And the children see that and they think, wow, this is love. Wife. 
you're responsible for setting the atmosphere of the home. All the scriptures talked about the wife being the homemaker, the atmosphere. Of course, you do all of these things we do together and we submit to one another to create this atmosphere. But in today's society, how many husbands and wives are reluctant to go home after work because they don't know what's going to meet them when they open the door? Or how many children? I'm not sure whether they really want to go home from school because they don't know what they're going to meet. Ah, ah, that's not how it's meant to be. Let's be intentional. We have lots of problems, but let's be intentional to greet each other when we come home and when the children come home because you are setting the atmosphere for the children. You're setting an example that we live above these problems. This is our responsibility. We've always made the Melbourne myself, all of our married life, we've always made it to have Christian music always worship in the house. We've never had any desire for any secular music as an example. Not that secular music is necessarily bad, but it does not create the atmosphere of the presence of God in your home. So you can talk about big stars out there. I have no idea who they are. I have no desire for that. So you see, because we said that, we find that when we go to our daughter's house, what do they do? Always Christian music. Always worshiping the Lord. You set an example. You create an atmosphere. Because children at a very small age, even babies, Elizabeth's babies, the baby leap within the room. They can respond to the Holy Spirit before they are born. So set an atmosphere, fathers and mothers, set the right atmosphere in your home. Let it be the standard of the love of God. Yes, we are not perfect parents, but this is what we are aiming at. Communication is really essential. It's essential for your marriage, it's essential for your children. Very important. As we submit to one another, communication is not to be war-like. Think about it. How does your Father in Heaven speak to you? Does He yell at you? Does He shout at you? Never. Is He firm? Absolutely. Does He have authority? Absolutely. But communication is clear from our Heavenly Father. But it's not shouting. It's not in rage or in anger. It's always, always in love. Good communication has to start from the home. We have to teach our children. We have to learn how to understand each other. It's a good tip to check with the person you're communicating with and repeat back what they are saying because you're showing them that you're trying to understand them and you're giving them the opportunity to say that's not actually what I meant. And so you can get a dialogue. We have to learn godly communication. We have to learn because one day your children will be getting older and trouble will be at their door and you really wish they would talk to you about it. But if you haven't nurtured communications from their young age, when they have learned they can come to you and tell you anything, then 
that might be a really difficult day. So let's nurture communication between husband and wife, between children, everybody has to have a say, be allowed to have a say, everybody can view, say their view without being cut down. It's called respect. Yes, we show respect also to children. And we teach them godly communication. Ephesians 4.15 Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every more way like Christ, who's the head of the body in the church. How can we do that? I can, all I can say is, before you have communication with your children, pray. Before you correct somebody, pray. Before you have any communication like this, pray. Because we need God to work through us. Pray. Because when we pray, God comes and corrects our heart so that we can portray his heart. Pray for an understanding heart. Pray for an understanding heart. We can learn so much from our children as well. Isn't it amazing that Jesus said about the children, they are the greatest in the kingdom. Because <laughs> when you see that little baby, little sack, so beautiful, he's not worrying about anything. He's at peace. And as he grows, he will start to giggle and to laugh and just demonstrate the joy of life. There's so much we can learn from them. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instructions. So the scripture is actually really clear. Parents have the responsibility to teach and train the children. Not the government not even the church. Yes, these are good secondary, uh, secondary layers. But the scripture is clear. The parents have the responsibility. That means you as a parent, you have an anointing for it. It is God given and no one can take that away. So you make sure you walk in that anointing. Have we made mistakes in the past? Yes. But if you walk with the Lord, He can change things. Look forward. Change things for the better in the days ahead. You are anointed to do it, which means you can do it. Deuteronomy 4, 9-10 But watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. We're never too old. We still have our own. <laughs> I love it. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God in Mount Sinai. Where he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live. And they will teach their children to fear me also. 
our experience becomes the foundation for the next generation. But we have the responsibility to pass it on. When I look at the level of knowledge my parents had age 30, and I now look two, two generations on, and I look at our daughter and the knowledge she has of the Lord, wow, there is a big gap. There's been an increase. There's been an increase by the grace of God. And it is our job as parents to create that foundation so our children don't have to start from ground zero, but they know how to prophesy, they know how to hear the voice of the Lord, they know how God works, they know the word of the Lord. It's not going to come to them unless somebody teaches them. The Bible's really clear about it. And what it says here is, you have to remember what God has told you. You have to remember what you have seen. This talks to me about testimonies. Some children and some grandchildren are not up for you reading a King James for them. But if you sit them down and you, and you say, do you know what the most significant thing that was that happened to me when I was your age? I went to this place and this person couldn't walk and they prayed for him and the person got up and walked. When you tell a story like that, I'm telling you it's going to grab them. Testimonies will grab them. When you tell them what pain you went through and God healed you, when you tell them how there was no way out and you prayed and God delivered you, they will remember that. And they will, one day they will say, I remember my grandfather told me this. I remember my father told me this. I remember my mother telling me this story. They will remember. They will remember. That is what the scripture is all about. Impartation to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 9. I think this is the one that I read. It's wonderful. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to the, these commands I've given you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Conversations, sheer testimonies. Sheer testimony. When I was reading uh, Bill Johnson's book, he, he goes on to say how they would reward their children for partaking in worship. He said going to church was totally non-negotiable. Children came to all the meetings on Sundays and the midweek meetings, full stop, never deviated. But he said whether they participated in the worship so they decided they would reward them for it. And to be honest, initially I'm thinking, this is a very American way of thinking. But I was wrong. This is a biblical way of thinking. Because it's in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11.6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes there must believe that God exists. And that God rewards those who sincerely seek him. <laughs> this is there. God rewards. If your heavenly Father will reward you, 
for seeking him? Should we, as earthly parents, not reward our children when they seek God? So he told his, his children, those that participate in worship, there's ice cream on the way home. <laughs> the next week, there was full participation in worship. <laughs> Some people call it pride, but it's reward. That's what the Bible says. And then as his grandchildren, he was telling us in the book about his grandchildren, he would, for each grandchild, he would recommend books for them to read. And then he would set up a one-on-one -on -one appointment with them afterwards to discuss and heal the heart. What did they get out of the book? And then he would give them $500. Now, if for a young person, age 10 or a young teenager, that's a lot of money. But why not? If you're raising giant slayers, you would put your money into it. Why? Because it's eternal significance. Parents can be right quite good at rewarding their children for doing well at school. Why are we not rewarding them for doing well with God? Ha! Huh? Switch it around. Why? Because the Bible tells us that it's about your heart. It says you to guard your heart amongst all things. It's a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We are so focused on intellect. We can be very focused on behavior, but actually we should focus on the heart of the child. That that heart gets molded. The heart gets molded correctly. So focus on the heart. It's from a heart of love that shapes a child with responsibility and purpose. Proverbs 22.15 says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. So it says that children will be foolish. Children will be children. They won't know. How many parents in here allow your own children to decide whether they go to school or not. And anyone that just, did you tell your child, you can decide for yourself if you want to go to school? I don't see any hands. Why is it that we have Christian families that allow their children to decide whether they go to church or not? Where did that come from? That has been very cruel to the children. Because the Bible says they have foolishness, they don't understand yet. But it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. They need to be in the house of the Lord. Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect a meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Especially because we are living in the end days. This passage is for all age groups. You've got to be in the house of the Lord. It's so sad. We've got some friends and they neglected the house of the Lord and now their children are no longer walking with the Lord. Because they weren't taught. The teaching has to be at home, but you teach them going to the house of the Lord because when the body of Christ comes together, you will see greater miracles than your life that you see in your home. 
We've experienced that. It's real. In the Old Testament family, what they did was the whole family was present when they read the law with the Lord. The whole family would be there when there was prophetic words given over the nation. The whole family, because even you think your children there, they're only playing. No, no, no. They are absorbing the Holy Spirit as they are here. They are soaking just now. These children are soaking, and it's precious in the sight of the Lord. This gets the blessing of the Lord on the family. They're soaking. When Melvin and I were bringing up Lisanna in this church, there was no kids club and no Sunday school. She never had the privilege of that. She would, we would bring choice, she would sit at her feet and play. There was no kids club, nothing. But she was still impacted by the presence of the Lord. That when she got older, and uh, she's not here today because she's got a box, I can talk about her, I don't want to embarrass her. But when she was studying for her hires, there was a revival going on and we were watching on Christian TV and she's saying to us, Mom and Dad, I really want to go that, to that. I want to go and see that in America. And we said, as soon as you finish your exams, we will go. Because we said, how often do you get your child coming and asking for a God thing? It doesn't matter how much it costs them. It's an investment for the future because it's a God hunger. You've got to reward the God hunger. Feed that God hunger. That's really important, parents. You don't know at what age your child will demonstrate that hunger, but the minute you see it, reward it. Reward it. Because you're building a generation that's going to bring in a billion soul of a harvest. That's what you're bringing up. So, so, so important. In uh, Exodus 33, 11, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man does her friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Do you see that, that Joshua? None must have been some father to bring up a man, a young man like this. Even Moses left. He said, the meeting's finished, I'm away home. Joshua did not leave. He's hanging on for the presence of God. And that's how he became such a mighty warrior in the kingdom. Because he stayed in the presence of God. I think that is so wonderful. Teach your children how God works. Teach them that every one of us have to give an account for our life. So we need to align with our purpose. That's really important. Don't sugarcoat everything. We have to give an account for our life. Very important. And last but not least, that the kingdom of God is so attractive. It's a challenge. But it's a wonderful challenge to walk for the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6. Direct the children into the path, the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. For our earthly father disciplines us for a few years, doing the best that they know. 
But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It is painful. Painful for the parents. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Is this not what you want for your children? Right living, a peaceful harvest, a harvest of souls. Yes, this is what the Word of God promises us. So yes, you have to discipline your children, but you do it the way God does it to you. You give instructions. Listen to this, this is my final piece. About just um, when you give instructions to your children, be firm. If the instruction is not followed, there should be consequence. Because you don't want to be as it is in the world that the parents get exasperated, they start shouting at the children, and the children come to learn how to respond to anger. You see in the supermarket, the child is lying on the floor and the mother is nearly in tears or screaming her head off because she doesn't know what to do. So we need to be consistent and intentional that when we say these are the rules, then there's a consequence for disobedience. And you can do that so you'll teach the child to respond to this is what happens with disobedience. And then you don't need to go the full cycle where you end up losing your right and shouting. And, because then you're teaching the child to respond to emotions and to anger. It is not God's way. Yes, we've all failed in this at some point. But ask, just pray and ask God to help you. He will. But we committed as a wage to him. He's there for us to help us. As Milton said, <coughs> we are now going to move into the prophetic word. Why is that? Because the word of God says God doesn't do something unless it's been spoken first or been prophesied. So as parents, pay attention to what God speaks to your child what the prophetic words are. Pay attention to what God has deposited inside your child. As they get older and are able to express, you will see in them the call of God. And then you encourage that. Prophetic words are really, really important. And Melvin and I over the years have recorded the prophetic words and even our daughter's prophetic words, we would we would keep a note to them too, as well as even when she was an adult, we would still keep a note to it. And then, if she's considering making some kind of choice, we would be, ah, that, that bit there aligns with this prophetic word. And so we would encourage, yes, go that direction. You see, it's so important because you're not bringing up a child to be what you want them to be. You're bringing up a child to what God wants them to be. And for that, we need the prophetic word. Praise God. I'm going to finish here.